Hello, welcome, John Ellis. Welcome to episode 43 of Pitodri PS, the predominantly Don's based podcast featuring not just the Don's first team, but a look across the age groups and genders at the club. And we focus on the respective progress of Cove and Peter Head, too, as well as the Northeast local representatives in the Highland League and juniors. And not just football, but any sport making headlines in the Northeast of Scotland or featuring someone from the Northeast of Scotland. Joining me for this journey, as always, Tim McDermott and Andrew Shiny. So here we are recording this episode. On the morning of Monday, August 8th, 2022, reviewing the team's Pitodri League debut for 22-23 against Samirin and looking ahead to a quick follow-up against Motherwell next weekend. Now, last time, Andrew, we remained sort of relatively upbeat following a defeat to the champions on their home turf, uh, echoing the sentiments of Jim Goodwin, who said, we won't be playing teams of Celtics calibre every week. Uh, moved on to what everybody had identified as a group of uh, eminently winnable games, the type you'd want to win if you've got any aspiration to be back amongst the big guns at the top of the table. Uh, the first of those matches at home to Pataudry, uh, at home at Pataudry, the former Submirin, and I think the crowd got what they craved uh, and what they came for, a 4-1 win. Not exactly what any of the three of us craved for in terms of predictions, but we'll happily accept it all the same. And by the way, I doubt any team uh, will equal this jump this season, leaping nine places in the table on the day with one result. Uh, your take on the match, Andrew? Yeah, very, very good performance, particularly first half. Granted, um, we were up against 10 men because of Declan Gallagher's red card, um, which, to be perfectly honest, could have come for that horrendous tackle on Hayden Coulson in the 12th minute. Um, but uh, he stayed on the pitch, it allowed Leighton Clarkson, and everybody around Pataudry was going, who? Uh, because they hadn't heard of the player. Uh, they didn't know that the player was signing for Aberdeen. He didn't indeed sign, didn't get international clearance until 11.30 that morning. And the, the question, who was echoing around the dressing room as well when I'm sure Jim Goodwin brought him in and said, boys, this is late and he's going to be playing with us this season. They're all looking around going, got another one? Um, but by the end of it, Everybody knew who Leighton Clarkson was. I mean, I thought uh, it was a very good performance, as I say, particularly first half from Aberdeen. Um, th some of the football that they played, their willingness to take the ball in really tight situations and play their way out of them was really good to see because that shows confidence, not only in your own ability, but in your teammates' ability to be able to get out of awkward uh, predicaments. So, um, you know, three goals in the first half. Um, Mayowski's penalty, clearly it was a penalty, despite what Declan Gallagher says. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what... Um, his um, nerve ends were telling him that he's he's pointing to his chest saying it hit me in the chest. We saw in the TV replay, it hit him squarely in the hand. The hand had moved towards the ball. It was a penalty. It was a second yellow. Um, arguably, Declan Gallagher's biggest contribution to Aberdeen Football Club over the last season and a bit, which is a bit unfortunate for him. Um, but Mayoski put the penalty away uh, and then showed really good predator's instincts um, to get in the end of that deflected Johnny Hayes cross. I must admit, when the cross came in, I just thought, oh, that's Trevor Carson's ball. And then you see Mayoski wheeling away in celebration and you're going, it's gone in. How did that happen? <laughs> and then when you see it again, you, you can see he is... He's so switched on, he's that yard quicker than the centre-back. Yeah, this, the goalkeeper shouldn't be waiting for the ball to come to him, but it shows, you know, there's a, a striker in the Adam Rooney mould. He could see there's a chance here, boof, straight in there. Not, 
oh, if this bounces back off the goalie, I might get a chance. He, he was being very proactive as opposed to reactive and got his reward. He should have scored a hat-trick. He should have scored probably four. Um, there's no getting away from that. But he got two, which is a, a great start to his league career at Aberdeen. And then came the pièce de résistance, that absolute howitzer from Leighton Clarkson. We'd seen him have a shot from 20 yards earlier in the game. He sliced it wide, but it says a lot about a player's own belief in his own ability that when that ball came to him, he didn't even take a touch. He just smashed it into the top corner. Instant hero status accorded to the young man. But I thought his all-round game was very, very good. Plays with his head up, always looking to go forward. Clearly has had an excellent grounding in the game, um, which you would expect for a player that's been at Liverpool since he was about six years old. Um, so um, certainly one to get very excited about, I think, um, for the season going forward, because he will be able to play in all games, unlike Liam Scales. And I have to give Liam Scales mention, I thought he, you know, he went to left back um, to replace Coulson. And uh, I, I thought... He, he he barely played left back. He was marauding about all over the pitch, and there was that that occasion in the second half. I think it was um, we Bizarwin fired across into the box. In comes the header, and you're thinking, what in the name of God is our left back doing in there, <laughs> heading for goal? But that's the type of player he is. He he knows. He trusts his own ability. And again, I keep on banging on about this, trusting your own ability. You can see it amongst the Aberdeen players. They do it. And that is a great sign for the future. Um, but uh, Scales, very, very good. Duke getting his, his goal at the end was excellent. And it was also nice to see Christian Ramirez involved in the build-up for that goal. Um, took the ball forward into his path well and then knocked it. Perfectly weighted pass for Duke to run through. I thought Duke um, wasn't 100% convinced that he was shooting for goal. I thought he might have been passing to Pizawan, who was on his shoulder, but it went in and the celebration told it all. Um, he's there. He's at Pataudry. He's a goal scorer. Um, so all round, a very, very good day for Aberdeen. And uh, I don't think anybody can complain other than another soft penalty given by Alan Muir against Johnny Hayes. But hey-ho, when you've won 4-1, uh, you sort of brush that one under the carpet. Well, no, because my prediction was 4-0. You forced me in that direction and that one <laughs> cancelled it out. Yeah, well, if they, hadn't, <laughs> if, if they, if they stopped at half-time, my 3-0 would yeah, look pretty well, there good. You go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Andrew told me before the game, Dave, that uh, Hayden Coulson's dad had been in touch to tell us his name's pronounced Coulson and not Cool sin, which we duly notice. And then the next time I read it out, he's being helped from the pitch uh, with an injury, which didn't look great. I, I think we're led to believe it's not as bad as all that. But either way, we wish him a speedy recovery, obviously. What it did mean was that earlier than scheduled introduction for Leighton Glarkson, and what a debut, instant hero stuff, as Andrew says. In terms of impact, it reminded me of James Madison. What did you make of him? Yeah, it was, it was absolutely excellent. Um, just on the, the subject of fathers of players, that reminds me of when. Joe, we were calling Joe Joe Shaughnessy yeah. until his dad pointed out Shaughnessy. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, quite a few other commentators took that on board and changed it to its proper pronunciation. But as far as Leighton is concerned, yeah, I think Andrew summed it up. He, it wasn't just his goal, which was an absolute cracker. You can see 
that he's got the confidence of what you'd expect of somebody that's been brought up at Anfield, the Liverpool way. He's played for the first team for Liverpool, so you don't do that without uh, without having something about you. And yeah, he did remind me of James Madison in terms of the impact, in terms of his ability on the ball. He's so comfortable on the ball and uh, he, he just looks a class player and looking forward to Aberdeen to help it develop his, his career and uh, benefiting along the way as we did with Madison. Uh, again, showing just how much I know, before the game I said to a colleague as Declan Gallagher walked past, I bet, just to prove a point, he'll be imperious in defence today, <laughs> about 20 minutes in the future, he was sent off. First, Andrew, was it a sending off? But by that I mean the first uh, offence and not, not you know, the, the second. Uh, second, for, for a good while, after that, we kind of sort of Harlem globetrotted it. In the second half, we became a little bit more bogged down at times, and it made it a little bit harder than it had to be. Should we have maintained that impetus, or does it just go to show that playing against 10 isn't always as easy as perhaps people assume? To take the Declan Gallagher uh, question first, I thought he could very well have been shown a red card for the challenge in Hayden Coulson, because he had no chance whatsoever of getting the ball. Um, He went in from the back, went in very hard on the player, as you could see because of the injury that forced um, Coulson off the pitch. That could easily have been a red card. And I think when VAR comes in, it's one of those that would be looked at. Although having said that, I I don't think the TV pictures were particularly conclusive. Um, although I've only seen one angle of it. Maybe there were other angles that would be able to tell you a little bit more. But, you know... It, it did look a bad one in real time. And then when you saw it again in the, the highlights in the television, the, the second yellow, um, yes, it was it was a clear handball. So it's a penalty. Um, it's another yellow card. He had to go. Uh, it's not what Detlin Gallagher would have wanted. Um, he would have wanted, like you said, to stroll through the game and show, you know, this is what you're missing. But unfortunately for him, uh, it wasn't to be. Um yeah, I thought second half we did get a bit bogged down. Um, we did create one or two other chances. As I say, Miofsky should have completed a hat-trick. Uh, Trevor Carson made a couple of decent saves. But, you know, when it was at 3-1, and then particularly when uh, Callum Roberts had to go off with a tweaked hamstring, and because it, a bit from, from my view, there's a bit of an anomaly in the substitution rules. You know how it is that you're allowed five substitutes, but you can only make them in sort of three windows, not including half-time. So we were forced to make a change because of Colson's injury. Then it was a tactical change when I think it was Matty Kennedy came off. And then they made another double substitution uh, when Hayes and Miofsky came off. So it did mean that although we had a potential one more substitute to use, we couldn't make that substitution because we'd had the three opportunities. I spoke to Stephen Gunn after the game and I said, you know, there could be occasions in a game where you have maybe three players get really bad challenges and it results in a booking or an ordering off, but you have to make a change. Now that surely mitigates against you because you're the, the, the team being sinned against but if you want to make any tactical changes you can't because you've had you've been f- forced into making three injury based changes injuries that as I say resulted in a 
a sanction against the player who committed the foul. So uh, it was a, it did create just a little bit of nerves around the stadium, I felt, with 10, potentially 15 minutes to go. St Mirren, to be fair to them, threw on two strikers, tried to go for it. Now, had it got to 3-2, it would have been a pretty nervy last few minutes yeah. because everybody had been going, you were 3-0 up and absolutely cruising at half-time. You look like you could drop a point here. Um, but it didn't happen. Duke got the goal that settled all the nerves to make it 4-1. But it, it did kind of throw up something that is is worth thinking about. Um, but I think Jim Goodwin afterwards was quoted as saying, um, 70% I was satisfied with. There's still bits that we need to sort out. They were a wee bit sloppy to begin with. They got that out of their systems. They got the three goals. They then got a little bit... As you say, it was a wee bit Harlem Globetrotterish um, in the, the second period where I think the one or two of them sort of thought, oh, we can turn on a, a wee show here now instead of just carrying on doing the good work. I I had hoped at halftime that we would go on and score maybe six or seven. And I think one or two people um, really felt that that should be the case. And I think the manager was one of them. But you've got to give a wee bit of credit to St Mirren. They stuck in um, and they at least gave it a wee bit of a go, albeit they had no chance of getting back into the game, really. Absolutely. Uh, Martin Miofsky quietly going about his business, scoring two in this one. Uh, Jim Goodwin reckons he's only about 75% fit, but uh, Goodwin singled out the fourth goal as the way he wants to see his team play. Quick passing, great layoff from Christy Ramirez, I've got to say. And then Duke had enough of the tag and the composure to clip it over the St. keeper, just. If you watch replay, like Andrew, <laughs> I thought he was so close to placing it wide, but he'll probably tell you that's precision. Again, only partially fit, but bodes well for the future with him as well, doesn't it, Dave? Yeah, it does. Um, we're certainly not up to, to full speed by any manner of means. And, uh, you know, I think, Jim called it right at the end for, you know, he's, he's not getting carried away as you don't. You never like one result either way. You know, you you, you don't get too down at a, after a defeat. You don't get too up after a, a victory. It's just a uh, part one of, uh, as we've already mentioned, a, a very important month for, for the Dons. But yeah, once uh, Miofsky and uh, uh, Duke are uh, fully fit, they're going to be real assets, you, you believe. And, you know, there may still be another signing to come before the end of the window. There's still a few few weeks to go. Um, So, you know, it does bode well. And uh, the the Jim Goodwin experiment seems to be working so far. And uh, it's excellent. And we saw the fans' reaction at the weekend. It's what a difference it makes. It was a a real carnival-type atmosphere, which particularly with the home shirts being made available on Friday, um, you know, and so many people wearing it on Saturday, which is great to see. And it is a, a very smart kit to must admit. It was so, our best so, in 40 years, I thought. <laughs> well, it does it does work very well for for the scene, but we, we can't get carried away with we've, we've followed Aberdeen far too long for that to <laughs> fall into that trap. Yeah, incidentally, even given the fact that uh, the players took their encore, as is common now, win or lose. Jim Goodwin did his now standard sort of lap of the track and waved all four stands. The last player out there taking selfies with anybody who asked was Duke. Uh, and we sort of asked, should, should we bring him in if everyone else is in the dressing room? And we're told, no, nah, leave him. If it's not allowed, he'll only do it the once <laughs> as Duke becomes Duck. Uh, normally, Andrew, a team with this many changes, it takes some time to blend. And I, I do think we'll improve over time. 
Maybe we're not giving them enough credit, though, for how quickly they've settled because there weren't any failures in terms of performance, were there? I mean, more involvement, I thought, of the likes of Jaden Richardson, Stuart and Scales, largely comfortable in that partnership at the back while it was there. And then, you know, you had Ross McCrory slotting in. Miofsky's off and running, a stunning debut from, from Leighton Clark. So remember, Danny blew strings well in the injury room. Ramirez with that perfect layoff for, for the fourth. Duke took it well. Any complaints or areas where you'd like to see more improvement, even simply from a you know a purely selfish point of view? It's hard to be very critical um, of any of the performances from the players because, as you've highlighted, you know everybody put in a shift. Um, Johnny Hayes continues to defy the calendar that tells you that he's thirty-five years old. He's still playing with the enthusiasm of probably a ten-year-old as he fast approaches his three hundredth appearance for Aberdeen, um, and they. The only thing I would say is we were a little bit sloppy to begin with. I think Anthony Stewart's first three passes gave possession away. Uh, the manager highlighted that. But um, I think, you know, that there is a real belief amongst the players, I think, that there are there's big things ahead of them this season and that transmits itself into their performance. There's a trust in each other, which is so important in a team. You, you can't... You're, you're not now having to rely on one man, Christian Ramirez, basically, to score goals. OK, Lewis Ferguson chipped in. He ended up being top scorer last season. Um, but Fergie, I, I would have said, you know, penalties apart, um, was there more as a provider than a, a goal scorer. Um, but uh, now you're looking at and you're thinking, well, Matty Kennedy can score goals. Um, Bizarwin can score goals. Um You've got Leighton Clarkson coming in there who looks like, you know, he's going to be one that's going to arrive late to, on the scene and smash things in. Ramadani had a great shot in the first yeah. half uh, with his left foot that um, it looked as though it was going way over the bar and then it dipped late and just landed on the, on the roof of the net. Um, he's he's such a quality player, that guy. He's, he, he's the boy that really makes everything tick. Um, he drives the team from the middle of the park. He's got great vision. He works his socks off. I think when you know we look back on this season, um, I sincerely hope that it's a successful one, but we will pinpoint Ilba Ramadani as being possibly the most important cog in the wheel um, because it, for me, he's, he, he just has everything that you want in a, a midfield player. And they... As you say, defensively, much more solid. Keller Ross, I think that is now the official pronunciation <laughs> of our goalkeeper's name. <laughs> Keller Ross. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the 18th one. <laughs> um, but um, he, he looks solid uh, at the back. He was unfortunate that he, he got a good hand on the, or I think it actually hit his forearm um, the, on the, the penalty and it went up into the roof of the net. It could so easily have just gone over the top. Um, but um, he looks he looks solid. And I think knowing that he's got Joe Lewis breathing down his neck will certainly keep his standards up because Joe, I'm sure, in training will be producing his best to make sure that if anything does go wrong with Kelleros, that he is ready to step into the breach. Um, there's so much that's good about Aberdeen just now. Um, it would be real nitpicking to say were there any faults, but Jim Goodwin will go in today, I'm quite sure, and be saying, well, boys, 4-1, yeah, 
ticked a lot of boxes, but here's the boxes that it didn't tick. We've got to sort that out against Motherwell next week. And Motherwell being in a, a difficult situation, shall we say, possibly another good side to have playing at home. But as Dave said, there was a carnival atmosphere at Petordi there on Saturday, the likes of which we haven't seen for a long time. There was a constant noise coming out of the red shed throughout the whole game. Apart from one occasion, I think, where Vinnie Bissawin had to sort of go and uh, rev everybody up once again, but they all responded to that. Um, I think, you know, it was 14,000 that was there on Saturday. There might be an extra couple of thousand coming along this this coming week because they, I think the fans are genuinely excited and delighted at the style of play that Aberdeen are putting on. Only downside, now this is a non-football thing, these damn smoked pyros. Oh, yeah. What on earth is that all about? I cannot understand for the life of me what that is supposed to add to the atmosphere. Now, there'll be some that'll be listening going, oh, boring old so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. But what is the sense of chucking these things on into the goal mouth that our goalkeeper has got to defend in the first yeah. half? Yeah. You know, you know, oh, there, 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 there was one going off in the six-yard box. The other thing is, why was the response to these things so slow? Surely somebody should have been there with the sand bucket straight onto the pitch, get that thing taken off the pitch. David Nicholson will be going absolutely mental at the fact that his pristine green pitch now has a big burn mark in the middle of that six-yard box. Yeah, it's not so much what it adds to the atmosphere, Andrew. It's what it takes away from the balance sheet as well. There's bound to be some sort of... Uh, There'll be a sanction. Yeah, yep. there's and, bound to be some if, sort of fine. If it carries on, I mean, Dave's better positioned to, to tell us the likes of um, what will happen. But I would imagine that the delegates' report will mention it because kickoff was delayed slightly. Um, There'll be a fine, no doubt. And potentially, if it carries on, there'll be points deductions. Is that what the fans want? I would suggest not. But there's this tiny minority that go, no pyro, no party. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, ca I can't say what I want to say to that, uh, <laughs> because this is a family Does podcast. Does it also begin with P? <laughs> uh, well, a P or a B or, <laughs> yeah, okay. or, or, or someone else. Um, we don't need to delve any further, Andrew. I think we're there. I think we're there. I'm just curious as to how Dave might might know more. Is this from your your youth, Dave, when you were fine for for throwing on? The... <laughs> no, from my from my involvement with the club in years Absolutely. gone by. Yeah, yeah. but Andrew's quite right. I mean, the other thing that disappointed me greatly was the pictures of the St. Mirren supporters bus that got to windscreen smashed. You know, yeah. and you know they're not football fans that do that. They really aren't. But as always, in these things, it's the club that suffers and. Uh, it's so frustrating for the for the proper fans. It's just any fine like that. It's just money straight off the bottom line, which yeah. we can ill afford. Absolutely. Now, if, if any game epitomises last season for me, it's uh, it's the Dons versus Motherwell, where we were muscled and bullied out of games, almost single-handedly at times, by Kevin Van Veen, who could teach the dark arts at Hogwarts. If anything would signal signs of improvement on all fronts for me, it's if we can not only beat these guys, but sort of own them and win the physical battle as well. So Aberdeen versus Motherwell, how's it going to go? Dave? Well, after saying you can't get carried away, I think it'll be 3-0 Aberdeen on Saturday. And we've got to keep Van Veen quiet because you're right, he was an absolute thorn in all parts of our body last season and uh, single-handedly 
he cost us quite a few few points uh, over the course of the season and helped to you know terminate Stephen's uh, time in charge and uh, no um but I think you know the signs are good and I think Motherwell, they've got no manager at the moment, Stevie Hamill in charge interim. You know, the result losing at home to St Johnston at the weekend won't have done his chances yeah. much good. Um, and they're desperately short players, where, whereas we're at the opposite right now. We seem to be signing on a daily basis almost. So, you know, the competition for, for places, you know, we've still got Jack McKenzie, Connor Barron to come come back, you know, and there's others, which Andrew will know better than me, the, of the younger players taking a claim to get involved in the first-team squad. Uh, so, no, I think 3-0, Aberdeen. Andrew? Yeah, I think you're right. It will be a tough physical battle, and that's the, the first thing that has to be won. But I think we're better equipped for that now. Uh, Kevin Van Veen seemed to have a, a, a vendetta against Aberdeen. Now, who, whoever it was that was getting in his ear and telling him, um, you know, you're hopeless, you're, you're not fit to be in the same pitch as me, which is what he claimed uh, was the sort of uh, rhetoric that was coming his way from the Aberdeen Central defenders, which Declan Gallagher uh, or David Bates, neither of whom will be featuring for Aberdeen. Um, I think he'll find it a bit tougher against um, Liam Scales uh, and Anthony Stewart, or if Hayden Coulson is out for a, an extended period, it could be Ross McCrory gets slotted back in there because uh, I think Ramadani can do the McCrory role in midfield and Clarkson can certainly do the um, the, the moving forward bit of your, your midfield two that sit in front of the of the defence. Um, I think the Motherwell confidence levels can't be very good, particularly um, having lost, as Dave said, so late on to St Johnston. They must have thought, we've got out of jail here when we score in stoppage time, and then to go and lose the game four yeah. minutes later, that is a real um, punch to the solar plexus, that one. And until such time as they get their managerial situation sorted out, there's going to be, there's always going to be a lingering doubt hanging around the dressing room at Fair Park as to, is it Stevie Hamill that I have to listen to? Is it a new guy who's going to come in and maybe doesn't fancy me? Um, you know, it, it's not a good place to be in um, so early in the season. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think Aberdeen will win quite comfortably and I'm going to echo Dave, um, three-goal victory. I'm saying now, three-goal victory, just in case. I don't know who the referee's going to be, but just in case some <laughs> dodgy decision yeah, goes yeah, yeah, yeah. 5-4-1-5-2, <laughs> um, uh, a, a three-goal margin between the sides, I think. All right, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say 2-0, uh, and I'll come back to the, the Kevin Van Veen thing. I, I'm less worried now. Uh, I don't know if you saw much of Anthony Stewart in just the physical tussle uh, with, with St Mirren at the weekend, but he was really impressive, very, very strong, and sort of, you know, actually grabbing it at one point, he grabbed uh, the guy that scored the goal. Was it Ayunga? Ayunga, yeah. Yeah, he, he grabbed him and just sort of physically revolved him back around and pushed him off the other way. And you just think, well, that's that's the sort of thing that, that you know, no attacker is going to, um, like, trouble twice. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say 2-0, and uh, I, I fancy us to, to win that physical battle as well. 
Here's hoping. Now, for AFC women, a first match in their new season in the SWL, uh, SWPL against Hamilton Ackies at New Douglas Park ended in a 3-1 defeat for the Dons, who had both captain Lauren Gordon and vice-captain Francesca Ogilvie unavailable for that one. An early goal for the host cancelled out by superb equaliser uh, from Bailey Collins, but Aki scored a further two late on to seal all three points. Uh, Emma Hunter has described this as a sort of transitional year for the team. They have a few of the, the senior players retired at the end of the last campaign. They brought in some new younger women from the under-19, so they'll take a while to get used to things. Plus, the two most senior players in your team both out. It must have been a fairly daunting prospect for the rest of them running out there. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the start that they wanted, obviously. You know, very tight first half, goalless, and then, as you say, you know, two late goals say, doing, doing in for Aberdeen. So, you know, but it's it's only one game and I know they've got a very, very tough game this weekend, uh, moral, but, uh, you know, I, I fully expect them in, as you say, a transition, what is a transitional season to consolidate once again and stay in the top half of the of the top flight. And uh, But not the start they wanted, but not the worst thing to happen, is it, you know, it was a very, very young squad that was out there yesterday, um, as it will be um, most of the season. But with Lauren and Francesca there, there obviously there's a bit of experience added. So uh, I wouldn't get too downhearted with that one. Yeah, Aberdeen Women's next game, Sunday 14th August at Memorial, as you say, against Rangers. Uh, to the under-18s, whose season got off to a fly with a 9-0 victory over St Mirren. This week, they travelled to face Celtic at their Battlefield Training Centre in Glasgow, going down 4-1, two goals either half for the home side. A consolation for Don Skipper Fiddley Marshall in the 42nd minute. The scoreline, we're told, flattering to the host, and certainly not uh, what Andrew sort of built us up to believe we might see from this talented bunch. So, so what went wrong, Andrew? Uh, well, I was actually there. And, um, I was hauled out of retirement after zero weeks. <laughs> um, I, I got a call saying, uh, do you think you could possibly manage to go down to the Celtic game and cover it for us? And I said, OK then. Um, and uh, at the end of it, Barry Robson said, well, thanks for coming along, Andrew. I hope it's a long time till I see you again. <laughs> so in other words, don't come back. Um, but um, it was a much, to be fair to Celtic, they were much, much better um, than they were last season, where I thought they were re a real um, ragtag bunch that looked as though they'd never played with each other at times in the under-18s. But um, they've got some decent players there. Uh, Aberdeen started the game quite brightly, but then conceded a sloppy goal um, in, the, I think it was the 11th minute. Two minutes later, Celtic got another one. They had the wind behind them um, and a pretty bumpy kind of pitch. Um, but uh, Aberdeen got themselves back into the game. It was a bit unfortunate for them, actually, that the, the halftime whistle blew when it did because um, they scored, as you say, in the 42nd minute. And you could see there was a huge lift um, to the Don side, but the halftime whistle came at the wrong time. Don's dominated the first 20 minutes of the second half and then Celtic scored in a breakaway, 3-1. And they didn't give up. I'll give them that. They stuck to their task. Uh, Celtic defended very, very well. There was a few occasions where um, Don's players got into the box and it was really good defensive blocks that stopped them getting shots away. Um, so Celtic were very good defensively. 
Aberdeen not quite at it. As a team, I think none of them really hit the standards that they would expect of themselves, never mind what Barry Robson expects of them. Uh, and then Celtic got a fourth one, which did flatter them a little bit. I thought, you know, maybe 2-1, possibly 3-1 would have been a good scoreline. And 4-1 um, really put the icing with a cherry on top on the cake for Celtic. But um, the Dons now, they travel up to Brora on Tuesday. I was asked to go to that. Fortunately, I've got a very good excuse for not being able to go to that. <laughs> I don't fancy a trip to Brora uh, on a Tuesday night. Um, but it's going to be a tough game for them. And they, what is it they call it now? The SPFL Trust Trophy. trophy yes. Um, used to be the Challenge Cup. Used to be yes. the Tunnock's Wafer Cup. Tunnock's Carmel <laughs> Wafer Cup. I bet you enjoyed those days. Uh, oh, it, uh, absolutely. <laughs> but, it'll be, but it'll be a tough one for them. It'll be interesting to see if the likes of Jack Milne, Ryan Duncan, um, who were unused substitutes on Saturday, are stuck on the bus and told, got and stretch your legs up, at, up in Brora, strengthen the 18s. If that is the case, then you know, it, it'll even things up a little bit. But um, Brora, as we all know, are a very good, strong Highland League side. So it'll be a tough ask for, for the Aberdeen on Tuesday night. Yeah, they're going well to start the Highland League season. But I'm just going to say there, um, Brora, Tuesday, SPFL Trust Trophy, Dungeon Park, 7.30. I could be wrong, but isn't this the same competition where the young Dons were on a bit of a run last season, beat Brora first? Yes, indeed it is. So and, um, and then, yeah, and then and then, then we'll be at both. That's yeah. right. Um, so I mean, for for all the the negative stuff that I was hearing coming from the front of the bus, oh god, that's the worst we've ever played. Now we've got to go to Brora. What's it going to be up there? Um, by the end of the bus, Bernie Barry was going, you know what, for 20 minutes in the second half, we actually played some really good stuff there. <laughs> and they defended so well. So uh, it's funny how, you know, um, in the cold light of day, when you reflect on something, um, it sometimes doesn't take too long for you to see. You know, the glass wasn't quite as half empty as we thought it was. Uh, but it, it'll be a good test for the boys. Um, and a lot of them, as you say, will have been up there last season and know what's what's required of them um, but it's still a tough match yeah I think it's possibly a better prepared broader that awaits for the season but time will tell good luck to the young dogs on Tuesday anyway all the best in that one to the championship and the new home for Cove Rangers who after week one found themselves at the top of the table uh, not unfamiliar perch last year, but one perhaps even they weren't expecting to reach so soon in this campaign. Lofty ambitions or not, Saturday saw their first away trip after that fine 2-0 home victory over Wraith Rovers. This time the opposition was Morton at Capelo and ended 1-0 for Morton, but far from a, a lesson being dealt to the new boys, Dave. As I understand it, they had the better of the first half, a few chances in the second, and then uh, a Shea mistake gave Kotongo the chance to, to hit home an amazing volley. So a special goal to decide that they weren't outclassed by any stretch of the imagination, were they? No, they weren't. And uh, again, I think it just shows how tight the Championship is this season. Um, if every club capable of uh, defeating the others. And, uh, you know, Morton is always a... Dougie Emery's got them playing, playing well. And it's a tough, tough place to go uh, down to the tail of the bank, which I saw a picture. They've got kebab pies on sale there. Only when they went to Scotland. Um, but, that must uh, be the only modernisation there's been at Capelo in the last <laughs> 70 years. Probably, probably. But, uh, no, it was, as you say, it was a mistake, which she held his hands up to. Great finish from the former Aberdeen youngster, Kidongo. But, uh, you know, it's going to be hard. It's all about consolidation. 
eighth place or above to stay away from the dreaded playoffs going downwards and that would be still be the, the, the name of the day. But they weren't outclassed. It could have ended, you know, it looked as though it was going to be a goalless draw. It could have ended that way, but, uh, you know, it, it's, they're still in the, in the middle. It's, no team is going to run away with that, that league, I don't think. Next up for Cove, another away trip, this time to the Highlands. The team they, they've already faced this year in the Premier League Cup. On that occasion, it ended in a 1-1 draw. Uh, penalties deciding the points uh, went to the home team on that occasion. I think Cove would probably be happy enough to take a point back down the road this time, wouldn't they, Dave, just to, to steady the ship, if you like? Yeah, uh, I think a, a draw would be, Jim McIntyre would would uh, take that, no problem at all. Um, it's going to be another... Another tough one, uh, Inverness, not firing in all cylinders, but I, I think that's going to be the way throughout this season. I, I don't see any one side starting to pull away. I think it's going to be dog-eat-dog. And, uh, you know, if you can pick up a point in the road, then to me, that's a success uh, against very, very difficult opposition. Uh, for Peter Head, uh, disappointing season in League One, Laska. They started this one where they left off with a 2-0 home defeat to Airdrionians in the opener. That was followed on Saturday with an away trip to Clyde, where the Blue Team had some of the better of their variable form last year. This time out, it ended in a 2-2 draw, uh, with Peterhead coming back from two down. Clyde, top of the table after this one. Peterhead, second bottom, which is familiar to them, I suppose. But you should take some encouragement from that, shouldn't they, Andrew? I would have thought so, because, uh, as you say, 2-0 down to a side that had won 4-1 at Queen of the South the, the previous week. They must have been thinking, oh no, here we go again. And Clyde must have been thinking, oh, this could be our season. Um, you know, we've started brilliantly. But all credit to Peter Head to get themselves back on level terms by half time. Uh, I think they played against 10 men for the last half hour or so of this yeah, game. Yeah, 62 so, minutes setting off. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think. Um, Jim McAnally is possibly a little bit disappointed that they weren't able to make the, the numerical advantage count, but he'll be delighted that he's come back up the road from... Where is it that Clyde playing this season? I don't know. Um, I know it's a different venue. It's, it, it's not Broadwood. I can't remember where it is. It's a different venue. This, this I, I, I don't know where um, it is, though. Yeah. Were they not shooting with Hamilton? Oh, they could possibly be, could are. Be right, I think, yeah. they, think you could be right there, Dave. So no matter, he'll be delighted that they've come back up the road with a point to, to show for their efforts. But um, again, it, it just shows how tight um, the the lower leagues are. It shows how tight the, the Premiership is that there was Dundee United who had a magnificent victory in, in Thursday night against AZ Alkmaar. And let's give them full credit for that. They go and lose at home to, to Livingston. And I'm sure... They thought, you know, this is a definitely a winnable game. Everywhere, two games into the league season, and if anybody is saying, oh, yeah, so-and-so is going to run away with, with things, you know, you'd be saying, well, I think you really need to go and get yourself checked out, Paul, because it's so competitive. Everyone is capable of beating everyone else. Maybe out with the gruesome twosome at the top of the Premiership, but hey yeah. Yeah, Peter Head's on the road again next week when they face Falkirk. Um, that numerical advantage you were talking about, Andrew, I, I imagine uh, he's even more livid because all four goals came before the sending off in 62. So, you know, yeah. half an hour with the 11 against 10, you'd have thought maybe, just maybe they could have sneaked that win and come back up the road with all three points, but not to be in this occasion. Uh, in the Highland League, early days, four teams locked on six points at the top of the table heading into the weekend fixtures. For Martin, first in that pile, last year's champions, Fraserburgh, not in that chasing pack, having already lost the match away to Bucky Thistle. This week's ties, though, ended like this. Bank City, five. Huntley, two. Breaking City, three. For Martin United, one. Inverness Clark, nil. Broader Rangers, four. 
Fraserborough 3, Wick Academy 0, Lossiemouth 0, Bucky Thistle 6, Nern County 0, Forest Mechanics 5, Rothis 0, Ivruni Locos 5, uh, Strathbay Thistle 2, Devon Vale 2, and Tariff United 1, Keith 1. All that means uh, Brora are top on goal difference from Bucky and Brechin on 9 points. Locos in 4th spot with 7. Uh, champions Fraserborough, one of 3 teams on 6 points. And the juniors, Dave? No, you'll like this one, John, because we had the opening exchanges in the <laughs> bookie.com NRGFA Premier League on Saturday. <laughs> Games finished. Bagries turned four, Nairns in the name three. Cooter four, Montrose Rosalie nil. Bridgeton Thistle two, Stonehaven three. Now that one turned, was 2 2 with uh, seven minutes to go. Um, Stonehaven player running away from the goal got slightly clipped. It wasn't a bad foul, but the referee thought it wanted a red card. That was one of the centre-backs, Cammy Bowden, away. The other centre-back, Craig McCune, complained to the linesman and was sent off for foul abusive language. And Stonehaven got their winner in the 90th minute. Elsewhere, Conley Park nil, Ellen United nil, Hermes 7, Dufftown nil. So Hermes are top in goal difference. Dice 2, Stonehaven Park nil, nil, Maud nil, East End 2. In the Championship, Devon side nil, Lossiemouth United nil, alongside 2, Burkhead Thistle 2, First Thistle 3, New Element 2. Sunnybank 3, Bank City, JFC 0, Aberdeen Uni 4, Cruden Bay 1, Isla Vale 0, Roth Rovers 1, Newmacher United 1, Buckinghaven Hearts 2, and Fraserby United 2, Glentanner 1. And tomorrow night sees the final group stages of the Girl League Cup, so we'll know all eight quarterfinals come uh, late on tomorrow evening. Absolutely. That is pretty much it for episode 43 of Pitaldry PS. We aim to publish every week on a Tuesday if we can, slightly earlier today, hopefully. Uh, always looking back to the Don's previous fixtures and ahead to the next. Please remember to follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate the reviewers, tell us what you think of the show as well. We'd be very grateful. Thanks for checking out Pitaldry PS. We'll see you next time.